we believe always dictates how we behave. That's why you're here this morning. That's why we worship on Sundays, because we believe Christ rose from the grave. The first day of the week, that is Sunday in the first century, for a lot of us our work week starts on Monday, but the first day of the week is actually Sunday, and Christ rose from the grave on Sunday. And the first disciples shifted their Sabbath celebration from the last day of the week, Saturday, to the first day of the week, Sunday, and from then on did the radical thing of celebrating God and worshiping God on Sunday. So every Sunday we worship is celebration of the resurrection, Christ bodily, historical resurrection from the grave. And when we come on Easter Sunday, we're just underscoring that. We're emphasizing that again, that Christ has risen from the grave. Can you imagine what it was like that very first Easter morning? Uh, now, I'm not saying, to, especially to anybody at home, that the rain kept you away today from being here in person. Thank you for those, everyone who is here, and thank you for those who are at home. But could you imagine even for a moment that the rain would have kept those first disciples from going to the tomb on that first Easter Sunday morning when they discovered that it was empty and Christ had risen from the grave? Nothing would have stopped them. Can you imagine that cold or rain or, or, as it turned out, persecution or pain would have kept them from proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ was alive. I read again this week the famous quote from Charles Colson, uh, the man who was arrested and convicted in, with, every, with everyone else that worked in the Nixon administration for, for Watergate, uh, became a Christian. He came to faith in Christ through that experience. Uh, and he, he would say, he wrote and, w- and would often say later, you know, he said it, it, it took nothing, almost nothing, for 15 criminals to crumble and to, to uh, admit their lies when confronted by the courts and the law and the, Nixon, uh, the downfall of the Nixon administration. But he said the first disciples kept saying Christ had risen from the grave all the way to their own death, many by execution. It was no lie. It was no fabrication. It was the truth. And they preached that truth. And we continue to preach that truth today. The gospel of Christ is the hope of our salvation and the hope of the world. Jesus is alive. There's a basic principle that that, that the Bible uh, confirms over and over. It's something like this. This is how I'm going to put it. Uh, Sometimes it doesn't matter so much where you start as it does where you end up. Sometimes it doesn't matter so much where you start as it does where you end up. This past January, a commercial flight took off from Dubai to go to New Zealand, almost 9,000 miles of traveling. The passengers flew for 13 hours and landed back in Dubai. After flying 13 hours, took off from Dubai, landed back in Dubai. Because once they were nearing New Zealand, they learned that flooding had washed out the airport and they had to be sent back. It just illustrates that, that basic truth. Sometimes it's not so much where you started, it is where you end up. And don't you wish they had ended up where they wanted to end up? And for the first Christians on that first Sunday morning, that's a basic principle to underscore. They started out in despair, in grief, in heartache, and suddenly woke up to joy and celebration. Not so much where you start out, it's where you end up. And you might be in here this morning or at home, and you woke up this morning in doubt and despair, anger, frustration, whatever haunts you 
this Easter Sunday. It's not where you start out, it's where you end up. And when you end up at the feet of the risen Jesus, everything changes. When you acknowledge that you believe in the risen Jesus, everything changes. Christ is our hope, and he is our life. If you have your Bible with you this morning, find with me the Gospel of John in chapter 20. Gospel of John and chapter 20. We're going to visit with three of the primary characters on that, that early Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter morning, Peter, John, and Mary Magdalene. As they discover the empty tomb, they find out the tomb is empty, how they respond. And I'm going to simply apply it this way. There are three things that Easter reminds us of, three things Easter teaches me, as I'm going to put it this morning. So look there with me, John chapter 20. We'll start reading at verse 1. The Bible says, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Now let me pause right here. I don't know how familiar you are with the Gospel of John, but John refers to himself as the one Jesus loved, that instead of calling himself me or by first name. So we're talking about Peter and John. Verse 3. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Now I'm going to pause again. Uh, we're going to bump into a word translated saw or look, maybe in your translation, uh, a few times. If you're looking at your own copy of God's Word or you, you have it on your device or a hard copy, you're at home with it, I want to encourage you to, to make note of that word. We're going to see it three times starting in verse 5. So verse 5. When Peter got to the tomb first, stooping down, he saw, there it is, the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first then also went in and saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the grave. Three things Easter teaches me. Three, three reminders from Easter in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The first thing is to stay longer. Easter teaches me to stay longer. If you're like me, some, you have prayers you've prayed a long time. You have things you, you have anticipated God would do, expected God to do, believed God would do, and maybe those things are going on for a long time. Sometimes you just want to do it yourself. Yep, I know. You want to take control. You want to take charge. You want to stop waiting on God. You want to figure it out. You want to apply your great knowledge and wisdom because you know so much more than God does. Sometimes you're just tired of waiting and you give up and, and walk away. But Easter is a reminder to stay a little longer, to wait a little longer, to see what God is going to do. The Bible says that Mary Magdalene represents a group of women who were followers of Christ. And they came in the darkness that morning. Now the Bible also tells us that Mary Magdalene, this group of women, went to the tomb the day before so they would make sure they could locate the, the correct tomb, find the body, because they made plans to come back the next morning. Why were they coming back? They were coming back to add spices to the body of Christ. 
The Bible tells us that, that two religious leaders who had become followers of Christ, Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus, had uh, received the body from the Romans and had already embalmed the body and covered Jesus' body with cloth before he was put in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And this was a family tomb, uh, and it would have had shelves inside for family members. It was, it was quite an um, act of honor to permit anyone else to be laid in the family tomb when they had died. But Joseph of Arimathea had done that for Jesus. So the ladies had come the day before. They'd found the tomb. They'd identified it. They'd even looked inside of it, the Bible says, to make sure, that is from the outside, to make sure they knew where it was and where Jesus would be laid. Then the next morning in the dark, the women come back to add spices to the body. It's an act of love and reverence. Even though the body's been embalmed, they're going to add spices to the body. But as soon as Mary Magdalene arrives, and we're not told what the other women do, but we can assume that their actions are similar. As soon as she arrives and sees the tomb is open, and maybe it was still too dark to see everything inside, but, but for whatever reason, she concludes the body is gone and being gone has been stolen. Because that's what she says. That they have taken the body. And we don't know where it's been, where they have put the body. That is where he's been laid, literally. She runs off on the assumption that people have taken action rather than God. Even though Jesus had told them that on the third day he would rise from the grave. He told them this. He prophesied it. And the Bible does tell us it took a while for them to understand. In fact, John says it in verse 9 here. It took a while for them to really grasp that Christ had risen from the grave. But, but it's notable that Mary immediately assumes humanity has been at play, the worst of humanity. Someone has stolen the body. Grave robbers have come. Or maybe the Romans have moved the body. It doesn't even occur to her that God did anything at all. If you read further in, in the Gospel of John, you find that Mary returns behind John and Peter. And she's in the garden after this event that we just read when John and Peter, the Bible says, go to their own houses. They don't go back to the upper room or to the place of waiting with the other apostles. They go to, to their own houses. But she waits. And what happens? You remember the story? She bumps into a guy she thinks is the gardener. Turns out it's the risen Jesus. I wonder if she just waited a little longer before she had run off the first time if she would have found out that it was God at work and not the worst of humanity. Uh, Easter reminds us, just wait a little longer. And maybe you're in that place of impatience. Maybe you feel like you've waited as long as you can for God to do anything or whatever it is you're praying for. But wait a little longer. You just never know what God's putting in place. You never know what God's going to do. And if we run off too quickly, we sometimes miss the main event. We sometimes miss the main thing that God wants us to see him do and, and the main work that God wants to do in our lives. In 2007, uh, Lake Okeechobee, I think is how you say it, in, in Florida, suffered a drought, second largest lake in the United States of America. So the water receded tremendously in this huge lake. And when it did, it started revealing artifacts. Some of those artifacts, 500 years old from Native Americans 
that had, had, had settled in Florida and lived in Florida, tribes that, that people knew about but had not seen these artifacts. And other artifacts uh, and other history was uncovered. Uh, a trawler from a 1928 hurricane, a ship from 1904 was found in the lake. Uh, on and on, scientists continued to discover artifacts as the drought continued until the next hurricane hit and the water came back in this huge lake. You just never know. You just never know. If you wait a while, what God's going to reveal. Maybe there's something God wants to show you about himself. Maybe there's something God wants you to see him do. Stay a little longer. Wait a little while. Pray some more. Pray a while longer. You just never know what God's going to do. So the first thing Easter teaches me, it's, it's a reminder to stay longer, to, to wait and to see what God's going to do. Uh, the second thing Easter reminds me of, Easter teaches me to look closer, to look closer. Pay closer attention to what God's doing. In fact, look for God to be at work. Pay close attention to what God's doing. Peter and John rushed to the tomb. The Bible says that John was faster than Peter. So it was a foot race in the, pre, in the dawn there across Jerusalem. And he, he rushes to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And John gets there first. And this is where the Bible says he pauses. And he looked in and he saw the wrappings of Jesus. He saw them on the shelf. But he did not go into the tomb. The term translated saw, that first one, means he observed it objectively and drew a conclusion. He saw evidence and he drew a conclusion from it. And the conclusion that he drew was the body is not there. That's the only conclusion to draw. The body is not there. When Peter arrives, he breaks with Jewish ritual tradition and goes into the tomb. Uh, the Jews didn't go into the tombs of dead people, they, they would become unclean. But Peter's not concerned about that. He rushes into the tomb and he saw the same thing John saw from outside the tomb. The same word is used. He saw the evidence and drew an objective conclusion. The only conclusion he could draw was the body is not there. Mary was right. But there's no answer for it. It's just observable evidence. There's no conclusion, no interpretation. There's just the evidence. Now, I want to pause right here to make the point before the next point that Easter reminds us to, to look a little closer at the way God has arranged things. Look a little closer at the way God works because as John's going to find out in just a minute, that's really the key to the whole subject at hand. And our tendency is to assume God works the way we work. God does what we want God to do. God behaves the way we would behave. And, and we forget that God is at work around us all the time. And when we will look closer, when we'll pay attention to God and the way he works, a lot of times we get to see God work. But when we look for God to do the things we would do, to answer the way we would answer, to perform the way we would perform, we miss God at work. Uh, I shared this in a discipleship course not long ago, and even in a conversation not long ago, I, I, and I mention it frequently from the pulpit, 
I love the Blackaby series, Experiencing God. Have you guys ever studied Experiencing God? If you haven't, do it. Uh, Henry Blackaby, Richard Blackaby, it's a great, great study. The core of the study is simply that God is always at work around us, inviting us to join him in what he's doing. God's always at work around you. He's inviting you to join him in what he's doing. A lot of times we do what we want to do and we say, God, bless me. Instead of getting involved in what God is already blessing and what God is already doing. And my point in is, when, when you get to know God well enough and you start seeing the way God works, you look closer at the evidence. You pay more attention to what God's doing in the lives of people around you. What about that person that's asking spiritual questions? Did you brush her off? Did you ignore him for a moment? Did, they, did you consider that person an interruption in your very practical day, or did you pay attention? Because the reason a person asks spiritual questions is because God's at work. Look a little closer. Listen a little more. Pay more attention. Because when God is working around you, God is inviting you to participate with him. And if you and I believe, as we do, that Christ is alive, that means he's at work. He's at work all around us all the time. The Holy Spirit of God is doing Jesus things all around you, all the time in the lives of people. Look a little closer. Look a little closer. Before you run off, before you back away, before you make assumptions, pay attention to what God is doing. That brings me to the third thing Easter reminds me of. Easter teaches me to trust sooner. Trust sooner. So much happens in our lives when we put our faith in God, when we really trust God and his word for what he says and what he's doing. Trust sooner. Why wait? And if you trust, it means you also obey. So John goes into the tomb. He's a little, he's, you know, he's held back by ritual and tradition and, and Jewish law at first, but Peter rushed in. So John goes in. And the Bible says that he saw, there it is again, he saw what was in the tomb. But this time, the third time, it's a different word. It doesn't mean that he saw observable evidence and drew a conclusion. This word translated saw the third time means that he saw with insight. He saw spiritually with faith and drew a conclusion. So here's the question. What exactly did he see? When, what, 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 what changed when he went into the tomb? Well, he tells us when he writes the story. The linen was laid out on the shelf. And the headscarf was sitting in position at the end. In fact, the, the literal language is it was folded up. See, what he saw was a scene of order and not disorder. As we know, the body of Jesus had been embalmed by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. They had, uh, their servants had done it, but the Bible says they did it because their servants served them, but had embalmed the body and been entombed. Now, the embalming process was almost like glue, especially in the heat of Palestine. The, the fabric of the cloth would have stuck to the body of the Lord. And if anyone had stolen the body, they, they would have, uh, for the sake of time, taken the wrappings with them. If they had the time, they felt, to pull off the cloth and the wrappings, it would have been a, a scene of disarray. In fact, even perhaps have torn the heavy garments and if they were in a rush and they unwrapped the headscarf, and, and people in the ancient world were buried with headscarves to, uh, to pull together 
the head and the extremities. And if they had unwrapped that and pulled that, they would not have just laid it at the end. They would have tossed it aside. In other words, if the body had been stolen or if the body had been moved by the Romans, the scene would have been a scene of disarray, not order. But what John sees is a scene of order, not disorder. What he sees is a cloth that's carefully laid out. And even more to the point, the headscarf has been folded up and set in place at the end, revealing that whoever was using it just didn't need it anymore and left it behind. And John believed, the Bible says. He saw with faith. And he didn't wait any longer to trust and to believe. He believed at that moment, even though he didn't understand everything, as he editorializes in verse 9. But he believed that Christ had risen from the grave. Trust a little sooner. If you're waiting on God to do this, to do that, for God to prove himself, for God to show up the way you want God to show up, for God to do what you want God to do, go ahead and trust him. Trust him with that problem you're having. Trust him with those prayers you're praying. Trust him with that family member you're concerned about. Trust him with your own concerns, your heartaches, your disappointments. Trust him to be God, to behave as God always behaves, because that's what God will do. And the thing about trust is trust liberates, doesn't it? Trust liberates. When you finally say, God, I trust you for what I cannot see. I don't have to have all the information. I don't have to understand everything. But I know God, and I know Jesus is alive, and I know that I can trust him and believe him. Well, all that he says is true. Trust a little sooner. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Trust God sooner. Many, many years ago, uh, Kim and my daughter Caitlin and I lived in a house we rented in Conover, North Carolina. And um, we, I was pastoring a church in uh, Maiden, North Carolina, if you know where that is. There was a new church plant. It didn't have a building, so the church, the, the church office was, was a little room in our house. And uh, Kim was in the kitchen one day, and I was in, in the office doing some things, and I heard something rattling around in the living room. And Caitlin wasn't there. She was off with a friend or something. So I thought, well, that, that's kind of odd. So I opened the door, and we, we had a, a, a trunk that we used for a coffee table. And perched up on the trunk was a squirrel. Uh, and just as you're wondering, he was not a pet. We, it was not our squirrel. So he was perched up on, on the coffee table. So I said, I, I, I said to Kim, I think we, we have a squirrel in the house. I'm pretty quick that way. So uh, we closed the doors to the interior of the rest of the house. And he was only a few feet from the front door of the house. So, and by the way, he got in through the chimney, if you're wondering. But we, we opened the door to the house and, and kind of went, shoo. You know, he didn't go anywhere. He just sat there and looked at us. So I went and got a broom. So I'm going to help him along, right? So I go get a broom, and when I start to encourage him, you know what he did? He ran under the sofa. So I, I did what, what any good man of the house would do. I stuck the broom under the sofa, and I started, you know, doing this around, and it did not do, did not do anything. He, he was not phased in the least. He was now under the sofa. He was hiding. He was where he wanted to be. So we came to the conclusion the only thing to do was to 
turn over the sofa and get him headed toward the open door. So that's what we did. We, we got the, I got on one end and Kim got on the other and we, we turned over the sofa and then I grabbed the broom, gave him a little encouragement and he finally ran out of the front door. Have you ever stopped and said, God, I'm not going to trust you? I'm just not. I'd rather hide here where I feel safe. I'm not going to trust you, God. And God keeps giving you little urgings, keep, keeps reminding you, you can trust me. It's okay. I know where you're going. I know what comes next. You say, no, I feel pretty safe right here. I'll just, I'll just take care of myself. But then when you do trust, you know what happens? It sets you free. You get to see God do something fresh and new. You get to know your risen Savior in a way you didn't know him yesterday. You get to realize the power of God. Trust sooner. Trust sooner. So this morning, there may be some things going on in your life. I just want to pray for you today. Maybe you're, you're burdened. Maybe you're, you're struggling with trust. Maybe you're struggling with what God's doing. You're not sure about it. And maybe you need, you need to stay a little longer and look a little closer and trust a little sooner. And if this Easter Sunday, is that, if that's you, let this be the turning point when you truly start trusting God for what you cannot see. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pause on this moment, God, acknowledging the greatness of God in Jesus Christ, acknowledging, Father, that you are our Lord and our Savior and our God, praising you, Father, for who you are. And God, we acknowledge that we hurt, that we struggle, that we doubt, that we wonder, God, sometimes what to do. And so for all of us, Father, I pray for us today that this Easter would be a turning point for us. If, if, if we're that person that, that's burdened, God, if, we're, if our trust is weak and we're wondering what to do, if we have a tendency to run off and take charge of things because you didn't do things as fast as we thought you should, if we aren't looking closely at how you're working and what you're doing, God, forgive us for that. And I pray for us today. This would be a turning point. This Easter will be the day we turn all that over to you. We trust you, Father, more deeply than we ever have. We trust you today with what we face, with what we pray, with who we're worried about, with our own burdens and concerns, with our finances, with our future, with our fears. God, we trust you with all these things today. And God, our desire and our prayers that Christ, our risen Savior, will be glorified in our lives as you do what only you can do for us and to answer those prayers. God, be with us now. And Father, in a, in a moment of response, I pray, Father, that we would listen to you, that we would come to the altar, that we would pray, God, on this Easter Sunday morning and yield everything to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.